Welcome to the Forward 40 Podcast, where we highlight the experiences of 40 women of color on the rise in the nonprofit and social enterprise sectors. This is an ode to our foremothers, a healing circle of our unique experiences, and a bridge of insight and wisdom across generations. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Forward 40. Very excited, like really, really energized. If only y'all knew about my day (laughs) leading up to this moment. Uh, Very excited to have our current guest in the guest chair today. Today, we have Dr. Angelica M. Hardy, who hails from Cleveland, Ohio, and is based in Cincinnati, Ohio. And she's also the VP of Health Strategy at the American Heart Association. Welcome, Angelica. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I am too. So I know that you just recently celebrated a birthday. So happy belated birthday. Thank you. <laughs> I love birthdays. I My family is probably a little bit overboard with birthdays, but, you know, there's only one day that was created for you. Exactly. You share with other people. I think we laughed about that before. Exactly. You share with, like, you know, millions of other people, but it's your day. It's your day. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm really big on birthdays as well. Um, So, like, I guess for yours, and especially with all of the modifications with the quarantine and everything like that, like, um, how did you go about, like, celebrating it? And uh, were there any, like reflections um, or a renewed vision around like this next chapter in your life? Oh yeah. I think I did a lot of that because I was supposed to be on the beach in Jamaica. <laughs> I had a, a super grind, like hard year in 2019. You know, I bought a house and, mm. you know, tried to get my finances together. Like I worked my butt off in 2019 to be here. And I was like, I'm going to celebrate on the beach. And I got all these plans. Yes. And obviously the current pandemic uh, cut all those plans short. <laughs> and it took me, it was an opportunity to really just reflect and like, think about what was really important. So mm-hmm. I had just a small intimate brunch with six of my friends that um, were also social distancing. And I knew we were all in the house and we needed a little bit of uplifting. Mm-hmm. So it was nice that we were able to like come together we did a little photo shoot. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, had brunch and had mimosas. And it was also, it became a time for us to just like sit there and be like, just talk and laugh. Yeah. And it was so nice because we've been doing it virtually for so long. And in that time, we really started reflecting on what was really important. Mm. Like, because you're, you know, not on the go, you're able to be like, well, what's really important here? Like, Correct. Family, you know, this this job is not as important as we say it. You know, it's Correct. important to help to feed our families, but you're like, wow, like actually reflecting on how, you know, our organizations treat us. And so I'm just really excited going into this new year. It is the last year of my 30 or my 20s. I, I will be 30 next year. Yay! So I'm also <laughs> excited to just like, how am I going to round up this year? What am I going to do? And I think that leading into that reflection and kind of really being intentional about my relationships um, with, like, my family, friends, yeah. community members, 
um, and how I don't go overboard. So I can, I, I can do that too. <laughs> That's beautiful. So That's beautiful. From an empty cup. So I need to make sure I redo that. So, yeah. Well, I mean, cheers to you for such a great <laughs> reflection um, and also and being able to celebrate with very um, close loved ones to you um, and also to put in perspective what I believe a lot of people are realizing right now that the quote unquote work is not everything like it's I mean granted like when you are an entrepreneur that that has its challenges because it's like your work is a reflection of you versus like when you're working um, to carry out someone else's mission and vision. Um, But even Mm -hmm. so, like there's still this point of um, when the fact that we have been on pause to really reflect on what's really a priority versus what's not and what's really important um, and not as important. How are we going to use the time? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess connecting it to, you know, the work is the work is the work and it's important work. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) uh, You are in the health space. You work at American Heart Association and um, you had shared with me before that you got into the nonprofit sector out of sheer passion. And your mother, she worked at National Urban League and you you said that, you know, you grew up as a Urban League child. So. I guess for those that are not as familiar with the National Urban League, uh, can you tell us more about your journey and how did that, like being there to kind of like shadow your mother, um, how did that cultivate your interest in the sector? Yeah, um, super exciting. It's interesting to reflect, and I I guess I've been doing a lot of that lately, um, but really didn't know where that came from. My mom worked for the Urban League of Greater Cleveland mm. growing up. And in that, uh, Urban League just nationally is all about empowering community and changing lives. Um, and, you know, as broad as that may be, it applies differently in different communities. And at, when I was a child in Cleveland, it was more focused on um, career, uh, not career, either career readiness or college readiness. Um, we had this program, I remember it, because basically because I was in it, called Kids College um, <laughs> in Cleveland. And it was like I was doing the same program as many other students in greater Cleveland where I worked. And, you know, reading and I went from, you know, reading enrichment, science enrichment, math enrichment to preparing personal statements and helping students get ready for college after high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really know. I guess I knew my mom got paid there, but I don't think I really fully <laughs> understood what I was doing. <laughs> I think I just was like, oh, we're going to do another thing on a Saturday or after school. Or mm-hmm. It just was a norm for me. Um, and I think that that empowered community kind of changing lives just stayed with me um, because it's something that I kept doing even once I left Cleveland. Mm. So I, I didn't feel fulfilled without doing some type of volunteering or active uh, activism, um, even in college when I was like, okay, I don't know what I necessarily want to do when it comes to my career, or I, I thought I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm still going to make sure I'm volunteering and I'm really, you know, serving my community, right? So as I continue to grow and learn, I was like, wait, this can be a job? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, I was interested. I had an interest in healthcare. I was in sport, sports medicine and planned mm. to do that. And then I was like, wait, there's a whole healthcare, like a health sector of 
nonprofit and mm. I love serving my community. And then I, you know, even to this day, still figuring out how best I can serve others. But yeah. I just, it, it was kind of melding though, the interest in health and healthcare with uh, my interest in serving the community. And then I was like, voila, there is public health and there is like the nonprofit health sector. Mm. Um, and then I was just like, oh, this is like all the my favorite thing together. Um, that I didn't know as a ch- urban leaguer <laughs> as a child yeah. um, that that kind of manifests into this. And then, you know, now uh, I serve as president of Urban League Young Professionals of Greater Southwestern Ohio. Woo-woo. And I'm still <laughs> an urban leaguer to this day. <laughs> so it really like set the standard of like what it means to be a servant leader and what it means to really serve your community and how do you continue doing that you know, no matter what seat you sit on and how do you, you know, give your time, talent and treasure to different organizations. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what, what led me to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, I like how, like when you were talking about the kids college, um, like I had a flashback to being a part of uh, a program as well and it wasn't a part of the urban league but again it's like when you're a part of it and you're participating in it you don't necessarily see it as a part of like a system or a sector it's just mm-hmm. uh, you just see it as a, a program like like an activity mm-hmm. um and it was like over time like really I, I want to say maybe once I got to graduate school, I'm going to be very frank, <laughs> that I was like, wait, there's a whole like space to really focus on nonprofit management. Oh, that's like really a right. thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I definitely feel major. you. Exactly. You major in it. <laughs> exactly. 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 Um, and we definitely need uh, more representation with people uh, majoring in it and also leading it. But we're going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> in short order. <laughs> um, so like in, in your studies with, with health, um, there was a point where you were focused more on like international global health. And you had shared that mm-hmm. you, um, have wanted to work, was it for, um, USAID? Mm-hmm. USAID, World Health Organization, yeah. all of them. I was like, I don't care who takes me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going with one of them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, you participated in a trip to Ghana and you mentioned that, you know, you had this aha moment of why am I going somewhere else when there's so much work to do in my own community? So um, yeah. what kind of like, what was kind of like that light bulb Um can you recall like a particular incident that happened uh, like while you were there in Ghana? And um, of course, you know, kudos to you again for being able to journey there um, such, you know, at an earlier point in, in your career and also in your studies. Um, But yeah, like, was there anything in particular that kind of like sparked that for you? Well, everyone should go to Ghana, like, at least once in their life, or just probably Africa as a continent in general. But Ghana was, has so many different experiences, and that whole trip was um, extremely educational, and just everything that I didn't know that I needed in my life, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, as I reflect and always continuously reflecting on that experience, I had one 
kind of big one that was um, that really was a pivotal moment. And I had a professor that was there with me, and he took us, um, myself and a couple other. Um, I was in doctoral program. There was medical students. It was kind of a you know study abroad where we were taking classes, public health classes, hmm. doing epidemiology work in both HIV, tuberculosis, and malaria, oh, okay. which was my research interest at the time, or not at the time. I guess it's still my interest, um, but what I was studying. And in that, we were doing, I would say, quote unquote, tour at that time. Where we were just like driving around the bus, just learning, you know, different areas. And this was kind of a, probably a weekend where we weren't actually at the university learning. Mm. And we went to um, a fisher, fisherman's town called Jamestown. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jamestown is literally a fisherman's town and it's right over this light tower. And we're going to really see the light tower. And um, one of the uh, members of the community came in and said, hey, like, you guys want to, you know, see our neighborhood? And I was like, you know, you want us to, like, come through your house? And I felt like it was, like, the most invasive uh, experience I've ever had in my life. So mm. we were literally walking through this everyone's home, um, which in this community, they were they kind of had, like, an open wall. So it was kind of like you had three walls and then everyone kind of the kitchen, I think is what we were looking at more of less. Okay. Um, where everyone was kind of taking fish from the middle of the community where they bring it in and they take it into their house. And, you know, you see 10 students walking around and we're like trying to avoid stepping on their food. Yeah. Um, and trying to, and it was literally the most uncomfortable I've ever been in my entire life. Mm. Um, and I was so angry at my professor and, you know, I, I, I love telling the story because at the end of it, I was just like, his name was Jason. He, I'm like, Jason, why would you do that? Like, why would you invade? Why would you have us walking in the middle of this community where these people eat? Like, this is so rude. Hmm. And um, I was very angry. And I was just like, that was disrespectful. And <laughs> he said, well, actually, this is a learning opportunity. And it's like, they, one, they invited us, which at that point I didn't know. And he said, and two, what you have to realize is they were extremely proud to show you where they live in the community mm. that they were in. And mm. it actually was the moment where I was like, oh, I'm the worst. Like, mm. I thought that I was being this and that, and I thought I was, like, invading. And they yeah. were, it was a pride. They were like, hello, second picture. And I was like, ugh. Like, this is uncomfortable. I had already seen the visions of, like, taking pics. Yeah. When you go to study abroad, correct. And they're like, so, he's like, sometimes you have to realize that people want you to come to their community and show you what they're proud of. He's mm-hmm. like, when you become a public health professional, what you don't want to do is go in and tell them the assets of the community. They were proud to show you the fisherman's town, which the boats were beautiful. They had, like literally were making boats on the end, on the side, that mm. he was like, all you saw, and, and you know, it was an eye-opening moment for me, he's like, all you saw was the negative. All mm. you saw was invasive. All you saw was that. And you were blinded to see all of the assets and the beauty and the, like, all of the things that this community has to offer. And that was, you know, sometimes an embarrassing moment for me to, admit but it was so important 
because it was so important for me to never forget the assets and the joy that various communities bring, even though media and many people can sometimes say that they don't have these amazing assets. And when I came back from Ghana, it wasn't that I didn't want to do that global health work. Mm -hmm. It was that I see that same thing in the communities that I live in, Mm. in Cincinnati, where people are constantly saying that there is violence. There is no health care. There is no food. There is no, there's all of those negative things without thinking about the assets that and the joy and the connectedness and the community that these neighborhoods and cities that I I work within bring. So that's kind of where the aha moment came, where I had to, you know, like, you are not too good for, like, you are acting like you are the best thing since, like, bread. Mm-hmm. And that moment was so important because I will never forget the assets and the strengths and the positive positive messages that these communities have. And yeah. that's kind of wow. what that, that That's powerful. And I definitely get, like, your reservations um, at first, like, being an international student and then, you know, going abroad, not wanting to be perceived um, as a culture vulture <laughs> or, you know, yeah. uh, just assuming that, uh, you know, the, the community are just props for, for your pictures because that's what a lot of people do, unfortunately. Um, so I definitely get your your reservations there um, and, and appreciate like the, the depth of kind of like that exchange between you and your professor uh about like the community was actually proud of despite what the eye can see um from an outsider's perspective they were proud to have you as a part of their community as a part of their home um and you being able to make that connection with the treasures and assets that are already within the community that you you live in that's that's very amazing correct and i also realize that that wasn't that's not always going to be the case right I can't just go up and be like oh you want me to walk around your community no correct correct (laughs) but yeah that just is that experience I was blinded to see the beauty and and appreciate the the community for what it was and I and I vow to make sure I didn't do I don't do that anymore (laughs) that's that's great that's great um so I guess uh it's been you at the executive level, uh, you're leading strategy policy um, in in your work and in your space. And as a black woman who has her PhD in health uh, and in Cincinnati, <laughs> in the state of Ohio, own <laughs> unique. Exactly, exactly. Um, If your listeners know anything about Cincinnati, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I was able to like learn a little bit more about Cincinnati through my work when I was working in community development, um, just of the the challenges that were just happening within the city, um, especially as it was related to equity um, Mm -hmm. and also putting race at the center of Mm -hmm. any equitable strategy. So, I came across this article that was written by Dr. Danielle Moss, um, who 
She's the CEO of the Oliver Scholars uh, Program in New York, and she wrote a piece on LinkedIn that was also featured in the nonprofit quarterly entitled Black Women and Nonprofits Matter, which is mm-hmm. like, of course we do, right? And oh, for, <laughs> you know, right? Um, and there was a piece uh, in the article that really struck me. Um, she says, I want to emphasize that we don't need more statistics research, or testimonials when it comes to the sector's failure to uplift Black women in executive leadership roles. We need demonstrable, decisive action in support of Black women's leadership in this sector. There's no shortage of talent, training, etc. when it comes to Black women. We are poised and very often overprepared to lead. What we do need is a decisive step away from the behaviors and practices that cause racial trauma at work and a deep commitment to accountability and consequences. So on that one, right? Say it again. Exactly, right? Like that's how that's how I felt when I read it. I mean, her piece is so on point. Um, she has like, I believe like five points. Um, on ways in which people just really need to, the sector needs to hold the mirror up, uh, you know, to itself to to change um, and really put Black women at the center and not just at the line staff, programmatic staff level, but uh, really to that point about what you were talking about, the assets. It's like uh, Black women have been the backbone of a lot (laughs) Uh, in this nation uh, and across the globe. Right. And um, the nonprofit sector is, um, is no different. So um, based on what I just shared, was there anything that resonates with you and, you know, surprised you about your journey in the sector once you were in it? Yes. Well, one, if the listeners have not already read the article, like, please do. Maybe, like, put it up and, like, I don't know, <laughs> highlight things. Because it, it really does a deep dive of everything, I feel like, as Black women in nonprofit sector go through every day. And yes. no one talks about it. Because so often we are maybe one of the only in executive leadership roles. Or if there are many of us, we're not in decision-making roles. So maybe mm. even not even managers sometimes. Or our our board leadership does not reflect the, the people right. that they're serving. I mean, that's probably one of my biggest, you know, things at the moment because I find myself always being asked to be on board. Mm. Uh, and at that point, I'm like, okay, <laughs> why don't you have any one women? And sometimes black women, Latino women, Latino women, all et cetera. Like, who are you serving? And Correct. if all of your people you're serving are people of color, like, why, are you, why is this not representing of your board? Mm. And maybe that's why you are still not seeing the impact, right? And you have the testimonials, mm. and even the statistics that she mentioned, but, like, we're really not in the business. And I think this is a portion of it that, you know, it probably shakes it up. Like, I don't know if those people... <laughs> really are in the business to make sure that make the nonprofit no longer needed. Mm, mm-hmm. now, like I don't, at my core, I really don't believe all these people really want to see it unnecessary to have an organization mm. for this cause. Mm. Some of them say it, some of them say it, 
But I don't believe a lot of them are focused on, especially, I would say, I would say smaller ones going to make certain impacts, large impacts, et cetera. But how are we getting to zero of the problem, right? Like, how are we getting to no more deaths? How are we getting to no more need to have this, you know, cradle to career pipeline? Yes. Um, how are we getting to this is no longer necessary? Mm-hmm. And I think those tough questions when everyone's like, well, let's do a strategic plan to figure oh, that. I'm like, yes. no, like, what's the problem? How do we address that? And I think race has a huge portion to do with that. Um, these organizations, when they talk about equity, inclusion work and diversity work, whatever, they're not putting it at the core of the organization. Like at first, before we say even who we are, are we talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, equity, whatever, all of the above at our core, Mm -hmm. not as a portion of the strategic plan, but at the center of the strategic plan and everything then revolves around that. Like, how is that what we're focused on? Um, And then most of the time I'm saying either no, or I'm pushing back Mm. or I'm, you know, sometimes a little combative, (laughs) whatever the case may be, all of those words come with me saying, this isn't right. Mm. And then I don't have anybody, I don't have a teammate to say, you know what? Maybe Angelica's right. Mm. And I'm not always right, but I don't even have someone that looks like me to say, you know, oh, maybe we should bring her in or some other people in to figure that out. I have to be the voice for all. And I don't speak for all Black women. Correct. And that's what they, they think. I don't mean just Black women. They think we speak for all Black people. <laughs> like, yes. as one person. Yes. And um, wanting to go get community voice, um, wanting to, you know, make sure, you know, what does the community think? And it's like, I don't speak for the whole city. <laughs> correct, like, correct. Do you want to bring in some focus groups and have ask the questions? Like, no, we just want to know. And I was like, well, I don't know what you want me to do because there is an opportunity for us to really invest and make this, you know, focus on our community needs, but we have to ask the questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mm-hmm. also part of it. If we have preconceived notions of what we want the answer to be, then we can't, we can't, we don't want to go and ask because if it doesn't line up to what we already want to do. With our then, hypothesis, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. the last other thing that resonated me, with me is pay black women. Ooh. I've had some mm, amazing say that again. <laughs> black women in my life that have told me to get this money, okay? Hello. And, and they had to tell me because I was not empowered enough. Uh, I think I took like a pay uh, women's pay equity class in college and I still felt like I wasn't empowered to speak. And that's us saying this early, like, you know, even with the, your part-time job in high school, even if they tell you no for the extra 25 cents, whatever the case may be, like we have to be comfortable because the first time I asked for more money was after I graduated with my PhD. Ever. Mm, mm. <laughs> so Ooh. I wasn't, you know, that was the first time I asked. And granted, I don't even know if the university would have let you make more money as a graduate student. I don't know. But the case is, I needed practice. So I can't negotiate if I don't even know how to really do it. Yes. Um, yeah. How yeah. do you feel empowered? So having those Black women around us to say, you need to get your money in. This is how you write a list on how. And to be honest, most of the time, they don't really tell us no, or you counter offer, you come back with something else. 
or you come back with some travel dollars or whatever mm-hmm, the case may be. Mm-hmm. But come back with something. But I kind of also made me think about the sponsor part, that this network of Black women. Um, in Cincinnati, we have a, a group called Melanin in Public Health, which um, okay. also like MPH, Melanin in Public Health. Okay. And really, it's just mostly, it's like a couple Black guys in there. But there's not many black guys in Cincinnati that are in public health. But they're in there representing for the guys. That's good. <laughs> but it's mostly black women. And we share jobs. We encourage each other. We provide resources. We send them to one another. And that's what we just need to have that, you know, could somebody help you with this? Can we reach out to that? All of those people, are, all those things are so important. So I'm obsessed with this article. And I've already been <laughs> to my medical and public health group. So just to get- they haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, Dr. Moss, thank you so much for writing the article so that we can reference yeah. it and uh, just like laying out all those points that we know to be true in the sector. Um, the, you know, to your point about, you know, board diversity, it <laughs> I just I'm always struck by <laughs> organizations and even companies, right? That it's like you want to quote unquote recruit for diversity. But then when we see your website, there's no draw. Like there there is no draw for us to be enticed to be the only one. Like it's we we um my friend had just shared an opportunity with me maybe like a couple of weeks ago. And I looked at the staff and I'm going to be very frank. I only saw one brown face, one black face. Um, no pun intended there. Uh, and everybody else was white. And I was like, wait a second. So to do this work, that that means that it's going to be extra taxing on me. There's going to be that emotional tax to do this because it's going to be ultra labor intensive because the majority mm-hmm. of the staff is white. And I, I'm just being frank, like to be in that environment where we have, you know, these treasures that are already within us. We are already skilled to do this work. And then now we're in the position that you're expecting me to do double duty or triple duty to teach you to also mentor other black women or women of color or men of color or whatever the case may be. And then also do my job. And it's like, are you paying yeah. me for? Are you paying me for all of that? You're you're pro- you're, you're, prob- you're probably not. Like, <laughs> you're there, there's definitely um, some underpayment, some really underpayment there. Nonprofit, so. <laughs> you know, and it's not it's not all about the the dollar, and right, and yet right. and yet when you're looking at the wealth gap, right? It's mm-hmm. when we do not have when we're not empowered enough to ask and to demand, then we are already setting the generations that are going to come after us, you know, at a disadvantage because we didn't advocate. Right. And because we felt that, oh, well, because mom and dad or auntie, uncle, whatever, like this is what they did. So I guess, you know, I guess this is what I'm I have to accept. And no, we don't have to accept that anymore. Um, we, I, it's long overdue for us to demand exactly, um, what we deserve. And it's not so much about what we're worth because we're worth more than a dollar amount. Uh, but what we deserve based on, you know, what the expectations of a given role are. Um, and the other point that I wanted to make is you, you mentioned, um, you got more comfortable once you got the PhD and that's so, that's so deep. 
because mm-hmm. there are a lot of women um, across the board, and I'll specifically say Black women, uh, who feel as though they're not competent enough or qualified enough because they don't have said letters after mm. their name, right? Don't do it. No, <laughs> exactly. You know, no, but I mean, like it's that's the truth. It is the truth. And and mm-hmm. when you when you have a when you have a white dominant culture, especially in the mm-hmm. nonprofit sector or even in the private sector, right? Um, expecting mm-hmm. you to have more quote unquote credentials, then you feel mm-hmm. like you have to be more indebted to extra mm-hmm. certification, extra training, extra degrees in order to be qualified. And that is completely false. Completely false. Completely false. And I people come, I feel like that's probably one of the biggest things people send me. Well, I used to teach at not I, I used to do a lot of mentoring at high school and then they, they thought I was gonna keep preaching college all the time and then I got kinda fired. <laughs> Fun fact, I got uh asked to not come back because I really wanted to have in depth conversations with girls and women about or young women, young adults as they're starting to really go through these phases of what their future looks like. Mm-hmm. And just because I have a PhD and I had an opportunity and I keep telling them like, this was an opportunity that I could not pass up. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it worked for me where I had a fully funded PhD program, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. could I, you know, I could be here today speaking in front of you and not have had that opportunity just because of this degree. I may have gotten here maybe a couple of years faster. I'm not, I mean, I don't have a magic ball, like how that timeline could have met. But I could have gotten here maybe with a master's and even with a bachelor's most times. A lot of people that I work with do not even have bachelor's degrees. And yeah. I don't know if I can always fix that um, in, in spaces where I don't, where I'm not at. So I can do that when I'm hiring and I can look at the experiences and the work that someone has done before mm-hmm. and say, I you can do that, but it's so difficult when you're not in those rooms and not in those spaces yes. to really make those decisions. But don't just look at the next person and say, "Well, I need to have a PhD because I want somebody to call me doctor." Because that will not one keep you up at night writing papers and mm. <laughs> writing your dissertation. Trust mm. me, take it from me. If that's the only reason, it can't get you there. But if you want it to really use it, one, and two, if you feel in your heart that that's something that you want to do and that's teaching or in, in public health, we have a doctorate of public health, which is more of a practice, mm. which those are, you know, skilled skilled uh, doctorates that are specifically for public health. Um, but I think, yeah, like, we have to realize our value and we we can't do that without people on either side one people coming to the field you know aspiring to be in these roles with or without PhDs Mm -hmm. and two people that are already in the field making sure that we are recognizing the value of other black women in our community and bringing them along right well you don't have a PhD or you didn't finish your master's yet you're Mm -hmm. doing it part-time because you're paying out of pocket not to get more Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be like we have to be on both to be able to do that in order for us to be successful and continue to be 
pivotal in the roles and just not just public health nonprofits, but nonprofits, are, are, especially I'm thinking education is coming to mind and even more um, systems that, you know, were not created for us to be successful. We must mm. infiltrate those systems. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Infiltrate the systems and change them up. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, and also housing. <laughs> housing oh my yeah, goodness well, i mean we can go on and on yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's my name that system <laughs> exactly exactly um and so the, the there's a point that you made about like being at the decision making table right or being in the decision making seat to then be able to determine um who you can advocate for who you can kind of like bring on board uh and the system is flawed um, and it's like within the sector, there's this kind of charity complex of, oh, we're doing this to alleviate poverty. Um, and yet and still there has been decades and decades of not centering race in the mission or the vision. Uh, and you had the opportunity uh, to be a part of a Cradle Cincinnati, right? Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about that and like what it was like to arrive at a point where race was centered um, in the strategy and what, I guess, what impact did that have on just like the process um, and yeah. how, you know, how things are going on right now? I have never felt more relieved when I started a process mm. and honored. Relieved and honored are probably the two words that when I was asked to be first in the Queen's Village, which is actually centering mom, black moms and babes, and then the Cradle Cincinnati board as a whole, which is really um, addressing infant mortality in Hamilton County, which is where Cincinnati um, is and when I got there and they were centering race, I mean, really talking about difficult problems that we were in. This is you know two years ago at the moment where we've been talking. We've been talking about them for a month or a month and a half, I mm -hmm. guess is the case on a national level. Mm -hmm. But they went out on a limb, and I don't say on a limb. Maybe that's not a good. But people were like, whoa. They said not babies are dying in Cincinnati. They said black babies are dying in Cincinnati. Mm. And, you know, that's kind of, quote, unquote, bad press. Infant mortality is already bad. But being able to just center and say there is a huge disparity here. We are re really bad on a national level. And what are we going to do about it? Are we going to tiptoe around and say, oh, well, we're going to try to help everybody. And, but that's not who needs our help. Our mm. black babies are like, how are we going to identify where to go next? And that is period, point blank. They didn't apologize about it. It was in the annual report. It was on the front page. It was in all the advertisements, well, not advertisements, but it was really in all the language. It was black moms and babes, mm. period. It wasn't sugarcoating it. And when they were able to then start Queen's Village, which really is centering and listening to Black moms and babes, listening. And I have learned probably some of my best listening skills being in the room when mm. some of these conversations are happening. Because 
you know, I'm, I sit on the board and I come from a healthcare sector and that's great. But one, I'm not a mom yet. And I, you know, I've never been through that process. And a lot of times I'm also sitting in a place of privilege as a PhD and all of the other things essentially come with that. Mm. Um, So how am I listening? How are we listening to our community and learning for what are the trials and things that go on with Black Moms and Babies in Cincinnati? And I, this actually came out, what, last week, just thought for the first year in over maybe I want to say maybe something crazy, like 50 to 100 years. I know that sounds insane, but I might have my data wrong. But they had a 24% decrease in infant mortality for the first time for Mm. Black black babies in Cincinnati, or I'm sorry, Hamilton County as a whole. For a whole county, a 24% decrease in infant mortality. Wow. 24%. Wow. Like, you work, when we talk about statistics, like, well, we got a little, we moved a little bit. And it's like, everyone's like, what happened? What did you do? We listened. We learned. And we, we were specific. The mom, yes. They were specific. They knew where the problem lies. And they listened and they aligned it based on that. It, now they're starting. They have an entrepreneurship group for moms. They're doing some workforce stuff based on the jobs that moms are saying that they want to in uh, career-wise. Um, they advocated for transportation. They advocated for better health care access. They, I mean, so just thinking about what it really means to center race mm-hmm. is not to sugarcoat it and make it, you know, a line, a bullet point on, like I said, on the strategic plan, mm-hmm. but put it at the center. That's where the disparity lies, which we can insert each system. And we know yes, <laughs> that it we is. Yes, do. Yes. Um, insert system and, and put it there. Make all the processes and strategies really center that um, and not because it makes you uncomfortable. I will say the um, um, CEO of Cradle Cincinnati is a white man, and he says it all the time. He was like, I'm sitting here listening to my staff and my volunteers and my board, and he was like, I've done a lot of reflection and also understanding and learning and, and all of that. He was like, but I'm sitting here as a white man. And he's like, I just want you to know that. Mm-hmm. But having more people like him that can have those conversations <laughs> to even just admit that they're the white person in this problem that is of black women and families is just a big, it, it shouldn't be a big deal, but it is. It's kind of an anomaly that he will like come out and say it. Mm-hmm. You know, people yes. are kind of taken back. And I think in the beginning, I was kind of taken back. I'm like, wow, it's so cool. He just said it out loud. But like, <laughs> we should be able to do <laughs> You know, we've been so tiptoeing around the issue that we didn't, we haven't been saying it out loud. We haven't been really addressing the root cause of the issue and screaming it from the rooftops while we address it. Yes, yes, yes. It's like the, again, it's like being specific. Um, I have been in a number of spaces where, um, you know, it's been like an era of, it was diversity, it was multiculturalism, then it was diversity and inclusion, and then it was diversity, equity, and inclusion. And race, again, it's just like falls, falls. It's like under the radar, under the radar. And now uh, (laughs) you have a lot of, um, I would say, just 
more generally, um, black, brown, uh, indigenous, uh, you know, Asian, just people of color, right, that mm-hmm. are calling companies and organizations out, honey. Like, <laughs> in, in a way that's just like, well, <laughs> do it. clutch, clutch, clutch it. pearls, right? I, I do too. I do too. Because it. it's, it's about time. It is about, it's long overdue. It's long overdue mm-hmm. that um, you, you have this mission and this this vision to do for the community earmark quotes right but mm-hmm. who who makes up your community why do they make up your community have you looked at the trends in the shift of the makeup and the demographics mm-hmm. of that community okay mm-hmm. what 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 are they bringing with them as a community what are the things that they actually need it's like people over time it has the, the sector has become so professionalized that it's just a a transference of grant dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Rib, rib, ribbon cutting. <laughs> let's, let's be real. Let's be real here. Call out the ribbon cutting. You know, yes, it, I mean, come on now, right? And let's just put a couple of, just a couple of specs, it, you know, throughout the organization that we could put up on the website and make it seem as though we did it, that we have achieved. And it's like, no, actually you haven't. And we've known this for some time. And now for all of you who have thought that you have gotten gone unscathed, (laughs) just wait, hold tight because (laughs) it's only a matter of time. It is only a matter of time. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we will see what happens. I want to just keep, keep, going though i don't want us to let up because correct oh well they're doing a little bit oh better. no 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 uh-uh. because, hold hold it to the fire not. hold it to the yeah, fire yeah it's yep. not a little bit better at this time that that isn't that's not even in the and, and people are like why are you so passionate because to be honest in my lifetime it may not be all things are going to be peachy keen before <laughs> before i leave this earth that's mm-hmm. the real life mm-hmm. i mean when we think about you know our grandparents great-grandparents like all of the things they did before us they didn't see the fruits correct, <laughs> after. Correct, correct. They just planted the seeds. Correct, correct. So what seeds are we going to plant in the positions of power that we're in? And I think that's also a bit important part. There are positions of power in every single black person in the nonprofit and we can also corporate, obviously, in every organization. And I think it's important that we empower those people to one, try to use their voice in in that nonprofit, but mm-hmm. also your voice isn't being heard. Let's find you somewhere where your voice will be valued. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And yeah. I, <laughs> if it's not there, if it's, if, if, it, if it's not there, wouldn't well uh, let's keep it moving. Like <laughs> let's keep it moving. Don't we subject yourself. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> yep. We can't keep pouring all of our our time, talent, and treasure, you know, into these organizations that don't value us or, or the community or really the communities that they serve. Like how do we really? Make sure that you are at, if you are passionate about serving your community and you work in a nonprofit because of that, we don't work in nonprofits to make literally the big bucks. <laughs> we don't. We would be in some corporate, I don't even know, because I don't even know what corporate people do. Nonprofit is my life. But <laughs> <laughs> we would be in different, if we weren't into serving others, we would not be in these fields. Mm. So how do we utilize our voice and make sure that we're able to be valued in the organization? Yes, yes. And as sectors begin to um, meld and come together just in terms of their social impact strategies, right? Um, I also, you know, would 
suggest that we be more open to not feeling as though one sector deserves more of our energy than another, right? Like the the mm-hmm. t- the, the tides are shifting, right? And yep. um, especially with the younger generation uh, demanding more um, as it mm-hmm. relates to justice, accountability, representation, um, I really see there's going to be like a confluence of like uh, just across the sectors, it's going to start to really shift in a way that you have to center more meaning just beyond the dollar. Like there, there has to be more to what you're doing beyond um, the quote unquote, uh, your, your bottom line. Oh yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy about that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Secretly I'm like chuckling behind the scenes. I'm yes. like, I had to a long time ago, yes. but I mean, <laughs> I'm glad it's coming to the forefront. Yes. Agreed. 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 Um, now there's, I, I, so it's like these reflections are, it's, it's kind of putting in, in perspective white dominance, right? Um, or like a white led organization, whether that be for profit or nonprofit. Um, but then there's also spaces where we have traditional and historic black led organizations. And I'm going to rock the boat a little bit. Um, not Aaliyah style, but <laughs> I just want to prepare everybody with this one. Um, you know, these organizations have been around for some time and they've been a critical bedrock to the advancement of the black community and, you know, to what we the world that we're living in right now. There's also an emerging space of millennials um, mm-hmm. and what what is it? Is it Gen Z? Gen yeah, I think it's Gen Zers um, that are you know rising up and don't necessarily see alignment with these organizations that have been you know predominantly black led, black focused. Um, and they're they're not really seeing the alignment with these historic organizations. Like, what have you heard from young black professionals just in your work with the the Urban League, and um, I guess about this tension that's really intergenerational? And do you have any reflections on what's needed at this turning point where um, it's kind of like this progressive evolution? of creating different platforms and strategies that are not necessarily in the ways that it has, that, that it was for like our parents and our grandparents. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a really good question. And you definitely are rocking the boat. I mean, because it, it it's a tension that I hope is resolved soon mm-hmm. because I don't think we really will have the momentum and the power to really see it through if we don't unify and come together. Mm. And I and I say that because our young black professionals have the, you know, the bandwidth and the, you know, the strength and the time and all of these things to serve. But I think our our older, our 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 seasoned um professionals that are activists in these communities have the knowledge and they have the relationships mm. and they have a lot of things that I think what value they can use and work together, but the tension is really on how we get it done. Mm, and that's yes. what I see most often. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times there's been a lot of uh, what some would call kumbaya. We came together. <laughs> did this. Uh, we did all of this together. <laughs> we signed a paper together. And now we're and now we have some type of resolution where we like work together. But it's been so surface level. And I think a lot of the young professionals are, are screaming, let's get to the root cause and Hello. all these systems. Exactly. Get We're ready to tear it down. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, we're going to strip all of this. And I don't like any of these systems. And let's, let's get it down to the roots and let's start over. And people are like, well, you know, now you have this history, this rich history of all of these things that we need to go through this. So I don't. Oh, I wish I had the answer, but I think if we do not come together and really learn from one another and come up to a common ground, unfortunately, because this, because we're kind of working, I don't want to say against, um, but we have our missions are the same, but we're not working in, in parallel. Mm. And if we don't come as a unified front, we will not, neither group will have the momentum to really see it through, you know? Yeah, the momentum and the impact. Calling, sending letters, being activists. And, and, you know, we want to do that. But then no one's having the conversation with the mayor, the city council member. No one's because those relationships may not be there yet. Not saying Mm, that they can't be there, but you should be able to leverage the people in your community that are doing that have been doing the work for years. You know, we have access in our community that you don't even know. You don't even have a history of all the things they did when you was in diapers. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what we've seen locally here. Like 20 years ago, we did X, Y, and Z. And they're like, oh, I didn't know. Or five years ago, we did this. And oh, I didn't know. So I think they just have to come together and be unified in these fronts. Or we, we, we're better together. And, but it is so difficult when the, the ways of working and going yes. through are, are, are so different. Yes. Right? And how we use our voice. And what's deemed as sometimes, you know, a little bit too radical, maybe even somewhat they would think would be disrespectful. And some others would be like, this is perfectly fine. Correct. (laughs) Yeah, it's like this tension between respectability politics versus, mm -hmm. you know, like radical change and, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I'm, that, that definitely scares me and kind of keeps it up at night. Because I'm like, I don't know which group I fit in. I'm like, little, I'm not even like older, but I have a lot of my peers are these leaders in the community. And then I'm like, also a YP. So I'm like, what am I doing? I don't know. I'm just trying to, I straddle the fence and try to be a bridge. Exactly. That's, a, that's exactly what I was going to say. Be a bridge. Yeah, be yes. a bridge. Yeah. Yes. So how how do I continue to be a bridge? And But should be, everyone has to be willing to know, you know, have a bridge and, and it crosses. Yes, yes. <laughs> so the bridge doesn't work if someone's not willing to cross it. So, correct, correct. Um, you know, we, we definitely have to come together. Well, thank you for that reflection. Um, I have definitely been observing, you know, as larger organizations or companies are choosing to invest their dollars into Black-led organizations and uh, movements and um, there are unfortunately um, groups that are younger uh, more in like infancy stages or not necessarily they don't necessarily have the decades old quote-unquote impact report that you know you said company organization feel good enough about 
you know, um, investing in with your dollars. So um, I have just been reflecting on how people are moving their money um, and choosing to move their money and where that money is going. And is it going to the historic organizations that, you know, have made headway and again, advancement um, and an impact and historic, you know, historically um, it, is, is it shifting? Like, is that impact shifting? Is it, is it meeting the needs of the current generation? Like, what what is being mm-hmm. lost and overlooked? So um, thank you for that. Like, there is definitely within the community, um, we need to be open to that exchange of ideas um, and come to a common place to just get the work done. And also um, to not just feel like, we're the only like we 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 are the keeper and the and the and the speaker of all things black you know um like share share the wealth please <laughs> and and and, yep. the, and and the platforms right um so um yeah that's that's kind of what what went into me raising that uh, with you so I appreciate your reflections on it I'm glad I could. I think I answer a little bit again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you um, gave the good, gave good perspective. Just in terms of, um, there is this community. Um, I would say capital. There's community capital that exists from the seasoned, you know, from the veterans in the game that younger generations don't necessarily have that can work to an advantage to leveraging a strategy and just like mobilization. And then, mm-hmm. you know, just like the, there, there's just the, the tension between how to carry it out and also like how to be more explicit and not necessarily kumbaya all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we got work to do. Uh- <laughs> yes. yes, we do. But I'm, I'm- empowered so yes 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 if i continue to connect with more black women like the cool thing that's come up out of this you know pandemic has been because we're so virtual even though sometimes i don't want to be on the computer i feel like i'm connecting with more people yeah. that don't even that are not in the same network as me because we're all virtual mm. um mm-hmm. and i think it's closing and we, and we can share across you know county state you know, yes. coast line, yes. like, we can't lose. <laughs> like, Correct. We continue Correct. to get smaller, quote unquote, is, as a nation when it comes to how we connect with one another, uh, I think that that helps us. Yes. You know, yes. I'm not recreating the wheel when I know yes. how That's a great we're doing XYZ. Mm-hmm. Great point. Great, great point. So, as the community health expert, right? Um, that. That. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been doing to maintain your own wellness uh, during this time or just more generally in the work? And do you have any recommendations for how we can um, keep our hearts healthy as we look towards the future? Yeah. Um, so wellness is become... Oh, so important in my, in my life. It's really, it, it, I didn't think, I wasn't doing it right before, I'm going to be honest with you. I learned about it, uh, textbook, taught about it, mm. did all these things. But I'm going to be honest, until 
pandemic time, I was not doing a great job. Mm. Um, and I'm still definitely in a learning phase, but I've set boundaries. That's like step one of my mm. wellness. Okay. Um, and those boundaries are when I am no longer available. <laughs> um, and that and that's because I didn't have any before. Mm. Like I really did not. Like I would just pour out of an empty was pour out of an empty glass. I mean, I would have nothing left at the end of the day. I would go from, you know, I work out in the morning and then I'm like, oh, I'll go to work and then I'm gonna I got two board meetings tonight and I'll be home around nine, got food wet ready, anybody got food, nothing. And then I'll <laughs> go to sleep and do it all over again. I mean, it was but because I had to put a pause on everything, I really learned how to say, Well, nope, today I am not doing anything after four thirty. Mm, I'm done. Yes. I will see y'all tomorrow. I'll lock it down. That's been step one for me personally. That's cool. um, uh, I love to dance. Um, so okay. not like professional. Not like professional. <laughs> <laughs> I really just like to dance. So <laughs> never had a professional dance class in my life. So <laughs> you can think about how great that dancing is. Um, so I like like the YouTube dance videos. I love Zumba and I like the line dance. So okay. I just like dance. So that's one of my own personal things that I have been doing in my wonderful living room is just dancing because I like that. Um, and then I'm also having to learn how to cook. Um, yes. I am very blessed because my partner is a firefighter sometimes and a chef most of the time. Oh, okay. And <laughs> I have never had to learn really how to cook for myself. Um, and in this quarantine pandemic time, I have been forced slightly <laughs> to make my own heart healthy <laughs> and because I work for you know the American Heart Association I have all the recipes at hand okay. because we do that we have all the heart healthy stuff and actually a lot of times very easy so that also was really helping me so those are kind of the three things that are part of my wellness journey um, and I've really been getting outside so I've been you know since it's been nicer you know, even though we're, you know, in the in home, mm-hmm. I, I'm really blessed to have a park across the street okay. for my Very house nice. I never went to before, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> I just never went. I would go to another park because that one's too convenient. But I'll, like, have a call, and it'll be a call where I just need to listen. Guess what? I'm going to go walk in the park. Or I'm mm-hmm. gonna, so I've also just really fallen in love with nature again as well, mm-hmm. fallen in love with reading. So I really yes. kind of got to hodgepodge of different things when it comes to wellness but I do if you haven't I do encourage everyone if you haven't already really found yourself again in this time in this you know because I don't think we'll get it again in another lifetime I kind of hope not a little bit but <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know if we'll get this much at home time you know to be with our families and stuff like that so I hope you find that for yourself yes. um, and hope to maintain it um, as things, I say air quotes right now, y'all, uh, go back to normal. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, I love the setting boundaries for sure. Um, especially when you're in mission-based work, it, that's closely tied to passion and your identity. It is not yeah. easy to turn it off because it's so connected to a part of you. Um, so that's yeah. very, very, I'm, I'm, I'm big on that as well. Um, 
And yes, I have been taking the time to cook more, uh, have definitely saved dollars because of course, when I was commuting and going to work, then you feel like, oh, I need breakfast. Oh, I need lunch. Oh, Mm -hmm. let me go out after work, you know? (laughs) Uh, So um, cooking and I'm pushing myself. I have so many books, so many. I'm pushing myself to at least read two a quarter Um, and that I have three that I was actually able to get from the library before everything was like shut down. So wait, how you get library books? Yeah, yeah. No, I got, I got. Yeah, I checked them out (laughs) right before the 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 New York Public Library was just like, uh, -uh, we're closing down. So um. Yeah. Um, thank you for those recommendations. And it's been so great chatting with you and just learning more about your your journey and and also just like the pulse and uh, what's going on within Cincinnati um, as it relates to community health and um, and impact. So we're at our close. Dr. Hardy. Uh, okay. I don't know if anyone wants to listen to it. Because we can do this forever, y'all. I mean, we can't. We really, really can't. Uh, so we close with our tea affirmation. And what would your tea affirmation be for our listeners? They're giving this really deep thought. Um, I would say for me, it would be make sure you're not the only one at the table mm-hmm. and that table can be within your organization within your boardroom within your volunteer whatever that looks like um serve connect and inspire others to be at that table with you mm-hmm. so that was kind of what i was thinking to kind of summarize like you don't want to just serve you want to connect with others you want to brill be that bridge and then you want to inspire others to to also serve and continue that same um, thing over and over. Thank you. Make sure you're not the only one at the table. Yes, because it's going to get stressful if you are. <laughs> yes, this is hard yes. work, y'all. <laughs> we, we've identified from our conversation today. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to need that champion, that sponsor, that support, that mentor, all mm-hmm. of that. Um, so thank you so much. How do people stay connected to you, to your work? Yes, I am Dr. D-R underscore Hardy, H-A-R-D-E-E, everywhere. So from okay. all all platforms. And then I'm Dr. Hardy spelled out. So D-O-C-D-O-R, uh, Hardy, H-A-R-D-E-E dot com online. So yes, on Dr. website, Under- y'all. <laughs> I got a little website. I'm doing my thing on top of working. See? No. <laughs> but yes. That's right. That's your own yes. brand identity. I'm I love it. All <laughs> love it. Well, thank you so much, Angelica. It was a pleasure. I look forward to staying connected with you and just watching you flourish. And cheers again to this new chapter in your life. Thank you so much. I'm very excited. And I appreciate the conversation. It has definitely been. Uh, refreshing to really talk about it from the from the outside lens and looking at our systems and how we how we're gonna go forward. Yes, and do the work. Thank you. We always get it done. Exactly. <laughs> always. Until always. Always. Sip. Sip. Sela. Share and continue to serve. <laughs> <laughs>